I was the leader in my church's youth group and a new girl was at her first year of summer camp. One night she noticed other girls dressing up for chapel and asked them why. From across the room, a senior yells, on Thursday nights, we get dressed up and we cry. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high, high school. Cause my best days will be in the past. I know, I know, I know, I know, looking back, it ain't all bad, but damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high, high school. Hey everyone, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group. We find the good, we unlearn the bad, and we figure out where the heck we go from here. We have a man, my name is Jonathan Carone, and we are joined as always by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, can you go ahead and say hey to the people? What is up, people? Ready to get into the topic today. This is episode two of season two, and today we are talking about, uh, it's a topic that Eric had that I really like the idea of, and it's the idea that as leaders, we projected our struggle on everyone else. Mm-hmm. And you've probably been in a church or in a ministry where one type of sin is was elevated so much higher than everything else. That was right. the big sin. That was the thing that we all had to avoid. And it was usually because the leader, whether it was the main leader or um, in youth group, maybe in your small group leader, that was their struggle. Right. Eric, you have a great example of this that can kind of help people understand it with some churches that you were on staff at. So can you go ahead and let the people know what that is? Sure. Yeah. So first of all, I mean, Jonathan and I were both, we have marketing backgrounds here. And so, you know, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty well known in marketing that every person, every human being is going to filter information through their own personal perspective. So some of this is just natural, but in general, it's like whatever your experience is, whatever the situation that you're facing, now that becomes um, elevated in your mind as a leader. So uh, two churches in particular that I worked for, both big mega churches. Uh, one one church was um, they they were very big on dealing with sexual sin and the appropriate relationships between staff because early on in their ministry they had had some high level people that uh, that were having problems with that. Let's just say they also were consulting with another church that was in the same boat where this other church like removed all the doors from all the offices just to make sure that people weren't, you know, having issues and stuff like that. So like as a staff, we literally had 10 commandments. They were the 10 commandments uh, that we had for the staff and all 10 commandments had to do with um, interactions with the opposite sex, whether you were married or not married. So we had to sign basically this covenant that said how we were going to act with that. Other issues like, you know, for instance, like alcohol, no big deal. You could have a Bible study at a brewery. You could do all that kind of stuff. You could smoke cigars with the dudes, no big deal. But sexual sin, uh, it was to the point that like, if you were in a car with like, if you had to give anybody a ride that wasn't your spouse um, or, you know, sister or mom or whatever like that, like you'd be fired. Like just no questions asked, just gone. Right. It was that serious. Um, no matter the circumstance, fast forward, different church I worked at was almost like the exact opposite. Um, the leadership had had some, uh, 
dealings with either their family or other people uh, that were alcoholics. So alcohol was a big thing. The denomination that came from uh, was kind of already set against alcohol in general. So as staff, we had to sign a covenant that said that we would not consume alcohol. And if we did, we would be fired. Now, did they have 10 huge commandments on how to interact with members of the opposite sex? No, it was like one passing thing that said, Hey, make sure that you're being appropriate with the opposite sex. But other than that, it was like alcohol was a strict, no, no, you couldn't talk about it was, it was a big deal. And so both of those situations came because of the personal struggles that, or the struggles that were in and around uh, the leadership. And it, and, and it was interesting looking at it from the outside, seeing that is sexual sin a problem? Yes. Is uh, abusing alcohol or other, I don't know, you know, substances like that a problem? Yes. Were they given two completely different emphases, emphases, emphasis, depending on the church and the background of the church leaders? Yes. And so how does that filter down into our experiences, um, either going through youth group or being church attendees now? And an example of that to bring it back to youth group was um, I know of youth leaders. So one guy, he had, he had like, you mentioned, he had struggled with alcohol. And so his big thing to this, the guys in his small group was to stay away from alcohol, stay away from alcohol, stay away from alcohol. It's, it's the worst, it's the worst, it's the worst. And people that that's what his small group thought the gospel was, was right. just stay away from alcohol. I know another small group leader, um, a girl, she was probably 30, 32 um, at the time, but she had had a lot of bad dating relationships in right. her twenties. So because she had made mistakes, because she had dated um, guys that were jerks, guys that treated her terribly, um, she told her girls, they don't need to start dating until they're in their late twenties. It's yep. not, there's no use in dating in your, in high school. There's no use in dating, uh, in college or in your twenties, just w wait till you're older and be done with it. Um, there's not really a Christian biblical basis for that, but that was her perspective based on her experiences. So she projected that onto her students and it's an easy thing to do. Um, I have my issues. Like I talk a lot about a porn addiction I had in my twenties after a breakup. I talk a lot about other stuff, uh, depression, because those are my two examples like mm -hmm. that, that I have lived through and I can talk about. So it's easy for me to take every single topic to that because mm -hmm. I know it, it can go there, but not every person is wired the same. You have different struggles and temptations and trigger points than I do. And I have different ones than you. So if mm -hmm. I'm only talking about mine, then you're never going to connect or see how the gospel is relevant to your life. If I'm only talking about how it's relevant to mine. Right. Yeah, exactly. And we have another episode from season one that talks a little bit. Uh, it's going to dive a little bit more into the differences between sins for different people. But this is specifically uh, – so, I mean, if you want to dig into that, you can go back and see in season one. But specifically, you know, this is very important to look through and how our uh, faith as adults was shaped based on that type of leading that we received. And so it's, you know, it's for sure. I mean, I think, you know, you put it in our notes that you make it into the boogeyman sometimes, mm -hmm. this particular sin or this particular uh, 
issue. And I mean, I think it's, it's true where like you create this culture where you know that this youth group is like, Oh, at this youth group, they don't listen to secular music. Oh, at this youth group. So now all of a sudden you've, you've become this and put it into something more as an adult that now starts to really taint the way that you look at some of these issues that can become sin, but may or may not be sin on their own. So, um, as you talk about with our podcast, every time we we don't just want to just rag on it, but we talk about what's good and what's bad and where we go from here. So what were some of the other things that were bad about or are bad about this this projection from our own perspective thing? So a lot of times what happens is it can lead to a bad theology or right. a bad biblical um, application. Because we think drinking is wrong. If you look at a lot of um, churches where they where they're totalitarian, that all alcohol is wrong. Independent fundamental Baptists, a lot, a lot in there. A lot of that comes down to at some point in their history, the people who are attracted to that theology were impacted by drunk driving, killing somebody or an alcoholic family member who treated people Mm -hmm. terribly. Yep. And because of the sin of those people, they go and find verses in the Bible to justify that. Right. The same thing we're seeing now politically in both sides of the political aisle that Mm -hmm. we're taking our personal, emotional or political bent and we're projecting that onto everything and then using scripture to find the basis for that as opposed to reading the scripture and finding things based on what it says or doing it backwards. And a lot of times, like the reason this is called unlearning youth group is because there is a movement amongst people our age, the ex-evangelical crowd that where people are trying to unlearn things that were taught to them that they didn't learn themselves. Right. Because they allowed these ideas where people would elevate uh, or project their own issues and that's the version of the gospel they learn as opposed to reading the Bible for themselves and mm-hmm. discovering what the Bible actually says so that you can create an accurate theology of who God is and what he wants us to do. Yeah, and I love that you brought up the political side. And obviously we we try to uh, be careful around some of that, especially with the, the temperature politically. In and our because country. I'm running for city council right now. Yeah, well, that's also so yeah, that's that. Uh, but let's let's uh, political parties aside. Haven't you noticed that whether it's in politics or I think this is kind of close to home for uh, your alma mater, but, uh, you know, the (laughs) the people, the leaders, the the Christian leaders that are the they are the most against certain things. Wow. Doesn't that seem like um, years down the road, it turns out that they actually struggle with that or they were using it as a defense for something else. And so you've got these like family values, pastors that end up being caught in sexual sin. You've got, you know, these people that are uh, that are blatantly homophobic or anti LGBTQ. And then there's something that, that comes out about them that they're, you know, trying to defend uh, whatever. And like, there's just these things about same thing with alcoholism or other stuff like that, or gambling where they're against it on the outside. They're, they're part of the quote unquote moral majority, but then it turns out in their personal life, they're really saying that because they're defending the behavior that they are, that they're engaging in, that they say that they detest. Or they're trying to protect themselves so heavily correct, that they think everyone else has to protect themselves that much. Gambling is not something I struggle with. Right. So like the people who always speak against it, which that's part of a church, especially in mm-hmm. um, 
now that sports gambling is getting more and more legalized, oh, yeah. you see people like making it a boogeyman and they're, they're biblical. Don't get me wrong. They're biblical things to say that you shouldn't do a lot of that stuff. But when we elevate it so high, one example I like to give is, did you go through dare when you were in school? Yep. Okay. What, what, what does dare stand for? Drug, ab- drug abuse, oh. resistance, education, or something. There like that. you go. And then we also in middle school, we had great gang resistance, education, and training. Okay. We didn't have that, but we live in a little small town. We didn't have <laughs> gangs. So there's that. But I've heard a lot of people like dare. It was their introduction to drugs. Drugs. Yeah, exactly. Because there was such an emphasis put on um, saying no to drugs right. that it actually made them interested in drugs. Yeah. And so when we, cr- when we project our issues, the thing that we struggle with um, a lot of times it's sexual sin and a, a lot of times because the sexual sin is an issue. Right. Next episode, right. we're actually talking about sexualizing things. So um, we'll, we'll dive into that more next week. But when you start talking about something over and oh, over yeah. and over, it gives people, especially teenagers, yeah. the idea of, you know what, man, I want to go try that. Right. So I can see what they're talking about because right. they made it sound fun. Oh, yeah. Well, and then you get like the youth pastor guy, which, you know, again, I was youth pastor guy. So I'm kind of but they're up there they're like, all right, guys, do you know that you can access any type of porn you want right here on this cell phone? And you're like, oh, really? Okay. You know, you're like, oh, uh, yeah, for free. Uh, oh, all right. You know what I mean? And I like, know it was or, that easier. or they're talking through it. unlike like, you know, and some of you are going into your parents liquor cabinet and sneaking alcohol and are like, oh, I didn't even think to do that, you know what I mean? Or whatever else it is. It's like, they're talking against it or even like, again, we're going to talk about sexualizing later, but it's like some of you, and then they just keep talking about sexualized stuff. You're looking at this, you're looking at that and your sister in Christ is wearing this. And now all of a sudden guys, my wife's so smoking hot and I'm so glad I get to have sex with her. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and so those things, they end up becoming earworms, so to speak in, in your brain and they, and, and it can do that, you know, and it really just becomes something that, uh, again, these churches or these, you know, our, our faith is built around these signature sins that somehow become worse than any other sin around instead of really understanding that anything, anything that's done um, that becomes an idol can become a sin, right? So anything in your life that you're doing, and that's why, like, you know, if you see it a lot of times of people that are in recovery, they end up switching their addiction from one thing to another. And so rather than becoming an alcoholic, now I'm like super fitness guy. I'm just addicted to fitness and I'm addicted to working out. Okay. Well, you just shifted your addiction. Maybe it's something that like morally is more healthy, but you still have a different signature issue in, and it, because you haven't fixed that culture that's built around it and saying, Hey, what is wise for me? Um, instead of what's right or wrong. Yeah, so I'm going to quote something here, and it is by a guy who, if he said it today, I would not quote him, but mm-hmm. at the time, sure. he was good. Um, his name starts with R and rhymes with Bob, Okay, and his last name is something you hear. Church, churches used to have these in their towers. So what he said was, whatever it is that hooks in you, you will never be free from it until you find something that you want more. Yep. It's not about getting rid of the desire. It's about giving ourselves to bigger and better and more powerful desires. And that's something, it's a quote that I think about a lot, especially when it comes to these big 
um, capital S sins. Mm-hmm. We, we talk about them so much because um, the desire in us still exists. Yep. And the desire to drink still exists in the alcoholics in, inside in their emotions. So they talk or, about or whatever it is that they're trying to get out of that alcohol, right? Is it yes. the desire to disassociate, the desire to not feel there's a desire in there? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So whatever, whatever that desire is, the reason that we elevate these things so highly is because that desire never goes away. Like we have to unlearn it and repackage it and give it to God. And a lot of times the people who are leading youth groups, whether it is the youth pastor who is just out of college or it is the youth leader who is a volunteer, a lot of times they're just coming off of some type of struggle and getting through that is what has motivated them to help keep other kids from having to go through that. Yeah. And because it's still so top of mind, it feels the desire is still there. So they have to talk about it more and more because they don't want you to go. So from, from a perspective, like they're doing it to help you. They don't want you to go through the things that they went through. They don't want you to deal with the struggle they went through. So they're trying to get you to a place that you're not going to experience that. But in the process, they actually go too far and introduce you to that struggle when maybe you didn't think about it before. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that's, that's spot on. Like I, I heard a passion talk from uh, Ben Stewart, who's the lead pastor at passion city church in DC. And he, he said something very similar and I I'll never forget. He brought up a, uh, uh, he brought up a fishing lure on stage and he's talked about how our attention goes after these things. And then we end up chasing these things because we obsess over them. And it's like, until you're lured or it's replaced by something better, which ultimately, you know, he's talking about the beauty and the wonder and the great mm-hmm. of Jesus. But, you know, he said, and the other problem is like, you know, this thing wiggles in front of you. Maybe it's a little worm or it's like a little frog. And somebody goes, oh, frogs do it to you, you sicko. You know what I mean? Like we end up <laughs> looking at other people's, you know, other people's temptations like, ugh. Gosh, how could you, how could you like that? That's gross. You know, that oh, you're just disgusting. That's like, but meanwhile, we've got the same, there's something else in us that we want to pursue that we're going after that, like, instead of backing away and going, all right, how can we approach this um, in a positive way? Yeah. I, I'm not going to be tempted by alcohol. That's not mm-hmm. my struggle. Um, I've never drank in my life because I know I can't. And so, um, if that's, that's, that's not gonna be, I have family members who, if it's around, they're going to drink too much. Right. And so their temptation is not my temptation. So as I, as we talk about it, if, if I never talked about alcohol, then I would do them a disservice. But if I only right. talked about alcohol, I would also do them a disservice. Yep. And you can like, we've used a couple of generic things here, but you can fill in the blank. I'm sure you've been in places where you hear like the church that I go to now, we are, we emphasize church unity a ton and clearing the air with people who you may have an issue with because four or five, six years ago, there was almost a church split. The church sure. almost died and there was some, there was some infighting and stuff like that. So one of the reasons that is emphasized is because we don't want to go through that again. Mm-hmm. And they do it in a healthy way, but just knowing like, like Given the ability to spot these things, I knew it's like, oh, 
that's in that story. Somewhere right. in the church's story, right. there was that. I found out since I first heard about it, what the story is, but everyone has that thing that they want to protect against. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's healthy. It's healthy to want to protect, protect people from things, mm -hmm. um, especially harmful things. We just have to make sure we're not protecting them in a way that also ends up hurting them. Yeah. It's that pendulum swing, right? You know, because like in your, in your example there, it's like church unity is good, but then it turns into like loyalty, which is also kind of good. And then it turns into like obsessive loyalty or it turns into uh devotion at all costs. Did you listen to good. the Marshall podcast? The Rise oh, yeah. of Fall? Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to us today and you have any inkling of desire to hear about like how good churches go bad. Yeah. That the rise and fall of Mars Hill from Christianity Today is an incredible podcast. But one of the things they talked about was things got to the point where uh, if you questioned anything, you were basically yep. shunned. Right. Church unity became church like you said a word a second ago that, that spurned that, but like it was almost toxic. Actually, mm -hmm. it was toxic. It, it was like it was manipulating and what was good, what started as a protection ended up going bad. Yeah. It becomes devotion. It becomes compliance. It becomes all those things that are bad. And I mean, like I've had experiences working at churches where it was like that. Like one of the first churches I worked at, um, very, just like you talked about the story very early on, there was a split between the two main elders and what one of the elders left and planted his own church. And so then for a period of about 15 years, they basically said, Hey, anyone who talks about church planting is going to get fired. You just knew it. Like if you talked about planting a church, no matter what you were going to get fired. If you talked about going to work for another church or, or leaving the church to work for something else, you, that was, you were shunned. And then, I mean, luckily that church flipped around and said, okay, you know, obviously planting new churches is one of the best ways to get more people and spread the gospel and blah, blah, blah. So they, they've turned the other way, but how many people have been on church staff or in volunteer positions where it's that same thing where it's like, if you question anything or, you know, anything else like that. So that's where that church unity and loyalty goes from being a good quality to being an obsessive focus weaponized that's now weapon. Yeah. Weaponized as a different sin issue. And using our stories is a good thing, right? Using our stories to reach people and being able to relate to students or others in our life. And in a way that we can share the gospel and how Jesus changed our life, that is a good thing. Yep. And the good heart behind it too, is like, Learn from my mistakes so yes. you don't have to make them. So yes. I, yeah, exactly. I, let me pay the dumb tax. That's a, that's a word yeah, my old right. pastor used to say. Let me pay the dumb tax so that you don't have to experience it. And so that's a good thing. Showing people there are consequences to sin. That is a good thing. Mm -hmm. It's just when we elevate it too far, it can become bad. Yeah. So as we think about leading our kids. That's a, that's a big motivation for our podcast is where do we go from here? What What's next? How do we take these, these bad approaches, the good, good intentions of the bad approaches and make them better for the next generation? So whether it's raising our kids or it's um, if we become youth leaders again at, one, at some point, how do we move forward in a positive way so that we don't actually do this to people in the future? Yeah. Well, I, I, the first thing I'm going to say is this, I'm going to talk to people that are in church leadership because I've consulted with people in church leadership, just like you have, I've worked with in churches. And I would say like, hey, strangely enough, this is, this is a fun part about this podcast. I didn't expect this, but the most response we got from season one 
were from people currently in church leadership yep. um, who are student pastors now or have gone on to other things in ministry because they see themselves who have done this. So yes. you're speaking to our audience right here. So here you go. You have to listen to and get to know people and what they're actually dealing with. And that requires a diversity of perspectives, right? So get, uh, I, I, had a, I had a lead pastor one time that says, you need to get a variety of voices around the room. So church leaders, if you're volunteer teams, if you're groups, if you're leadership teams, if you're teaching team, if you're whatever, if they look like you, if they sound like you, and if they struggle like you, you're not diverse enough. You need to have perspectives from a variety of different places. So that way, when something gets brought up and somebody says, well, let's talk about anxiety and mental health. I've literally been in rooms like this and they go, that's not a big deal. And then you have somebody in the corner that's willing to say, hey, I've struggled with anxiety my entire life and I struggle with the sin associated with it and trying to figure out how to you know, go through where fear stops, where worry stops. And now it's like you just see this whole room of people change their minds because of one person's perspective. And so if you don't have a diversity of perspectives in that room, you're going to continue to create these, these cultural silos and these giant sin issues that may or may not actually impact the people that are around you. So that would be number one. I would say two is like if you're in church leadership uh, and you have a legalistic view of your of your struggles, that's something you need to deal with. And I'm encouraging everyone, talk to a professional about it. I think that we need to kind of deconstruct this idea that pastoral counseling from the pastors that we work for is the only way to go. Because sometimes you have to break out of the culture and go see you know, a licensed professional counselor. Yeah, that is a Christian counselor. I agree. But someone that's outside of that perspective to help you get a healthy perspective on the types of things that you're talking about, the types of things that you're struggling with and how you're leading people through that. On the flip side too, if you've become a, uh, what I would say a victim, or if you carry triggering events from somebody who's done that to you and you say, man, maybe I have an unhealthy view uh, of, of sex and purity. Maybe I have an unhealthy view of alcohol. Maybe I have an unhealthy view of uh, secular insert, whatever media you have here. Talk to somebody about it because there's, it's probably affecting other areas of life. And for parents, it's definitely affecting how you raise your kids. Absolutely. And on that front, I would say own your issues, yep. but don't give them to your kids, right. whether those kids be your biological children or the students that you're leading. For example, I, I, this, this is an easy one for me. I'm fat. Like I just am like I, we could get into the behind it, but I'm overweight. It is what it is. I could project my body issues and the issues that I face with being fat onto my kids. I could say, no, don't eat that because you're going to get fat. Or I could say, you need to go exercise so that you don't get fat. Or all of these other things. They're four and six. Right. Like we're trying to build healthy uh, healthy systems and healthy um, habits. Mm-hmm. But we have to own our our issues, but we can't project them. Because how many times does generational sin or generational issues happen because parents project the things that they dealt with onto their children over and over and over, and it just keeps, the cycle keeps going. So if my kids end up struggling with things that I struggled with, then I I have the opportunity to speak into that because 
I've been there and I've struggled with it, but I don't want to push those same things on them when they don't have to go through them. Exactly. And that's why I, I tell you, I, you, you've talked about TikTok before. That's why I love TikTok because I get to see people's experiences that I would have never thought about. And so like just going along with what you said, one of the things that I'm seeing is like all of these, especially women who are asking saying, Hey, when was the first time that you started to hate your body? And most of the time it's stories about how a grandmother said, Oh, you shouldn't eat that. Cause you're going to get fat or you got to start, stop eating this because you're going to do this. And it's like, man, I, that just puts into my mind how important it is for us not to project our own sins or not to project in the, in the effort to protect, we shouldn't be projecting some of these problems onto our kids and how can we handle it um, in a healthy way, in a grace-filled way, in a way that helps kids understand, uh, you know, sin is sin and there are problems with sin, but sin is not something you should be afraid of because if you're afraid of sin or if you're afraid of those sin issue things, then that, what does that say about your savior? Yes. And it's a fine line there. There is a very fine line of doing that. And one of the things I want to say, like plainly, is we're going to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. Like we can't just look at the generation before us and say, no, you screwed up. You did this so wrong. You shouldn't have done it that way. Right. We're going to get it wrong. We've joked yep. on here before that 20 years from now, our kids are going to be doing a podcast on all the things, unlearning all the things that we unlearned exactly. um, so that they can do things better as well. And I think that's part of growing up. That's part of uh, leading anything. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to mess this up. We're going to struggle, but I want us to be able to struggle together so that we can struggle in a positive way for positive progress. And And that's what this whole podcast is about. And part of that is just understanding, you know, going all the way back to the beginning of the topic is that we all struggle with things and we struggle with things differently. And so the advice that you give, it's great advice, but just remember whatever you're talking about doesn't have to be the most important thing. And so if you're making that advice, if you're making that sin, if you're making that, you know, Hey, like you talked about when I was in my twenties, I dated a bunch of bad guys. Great. It's good advice to say, be very discerning who you're going to date and who you're going to be involved with and when, but it doesn't mean it has to be the ultimate bit of advice to say, don't date in your twenties. So let's have a bit of perspective and understanding and empathizing with the people around us so that we could really say, the issue is I want the best for you, not I want you to avoid alcohol or not. I want you to avoid this issue because that's where we get it mixed up. Instead of looking at, I want you to have the best overall life that Jesus has called you to instead of you just need to avoid X, Y, and Z because that doesn't create sustainable relationship with Jesus. It's, Hey, I struggled with this and I don't want you to. So use this as a guardrail. We talk about the guardrail idea in um, our wise versus right episode last season, but we don't want to put them in the position so that they'll absolutely 100% go through it as well. Because um, just using the dating example, if we constantly harp on the bad relationships we had in our twenties, then the people we're leading, whether it's our kids or our students, they're going to go into every relationship that they have from a dating perspective, looking for those things. So instead of working through things that can be worked through, I'm not talking about the toxic things that need to be run from, just the little issues that come with maturity and building a relationship instead of working through those to create a healthy relationship, they're just going to run because we told them they need to run at the first sign of a red flag. Yep, exactly. So that is it for today. 
Next week, uh, it seems like week three of the season is our sex week. So um, we're going to hit just, up. Just like Cry Nights Thursday night. <laughs> week three is always going to be uh, about that. Um, maybe not in the future. But next week, we're talking about how we sexualized everything in youth group. Mm. Everything was way too over-sexualized, and it gave us the wrong perspective of sex, of body issues, of how we handle our own temptations. And we'll dive more into that next week. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe to the show. Rate us, review us wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback on Instagram. I'm Jonathan underscore Corone. Eric, you are Eric W712. Yep, that's right. I got it right finally. So Eric W712 on Instagram for Eric. Um, We would love to hear back from you. Share this with a friend if it resonated with you. That's it for this week. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you for episode three next week.